Thank you for listening to a Sunday morning sermon from Christ Church of Orinoco. For more information about these sermons or about Christ Church in general, visit us online at ccochurch.com. And now, here's this week's sermon. Morning, church. Let's open our Bibles to Acts chapter 11. If you're visiting Christ Church, my name's Mark. I am, uh, have the privilege of being one of the ministers here at the church. Uh, and would you help me express appreciation for Michael and the last four weeks as he preached and did a wonderful job? You bet. One of the privileges I'm given is, uh, by our elders is to take a month to study and to work ahead. And, and knowing Michael was preaching, I packed my office up, assuming I'd be fired when I got back. But they let me stay, so I'm glad to be here. And it's good to see you all. We're going to be in Acts 11. And if you're visiting with us, we're in this series called Actors. And uh, this series is taking the book of Acts and looking at those who played a key role in it. But I really wonder sometimes if, if Michael and I, because this series has evolved in us as we've presented it, if we've really brought you in tightly to what this series is designed to do. So let me explain it. Uh, we want you to see in the book of Acts that God took ordinary people like you and I and based on the power of the Holy Spirit, did extraordinary things. This is not a series where we just tout certain people in the Bible as better than us. You know, like we might say, well, wow, that guy's really tall, like he had anything to do with it. Or we might say that she can really sing, and she's developed a natural ability, but for those of us who can't sing, we're discouraged. Or you might say to me, wow, he has beautiful hair and really hurt my heart, really (laughs) wound me deeply. So what we're not trying to do is pitch people out of the Bible and go, man, we ought to be more like them. What we want you to understand is what made them like them is the Holy Spirit. So that all of us, no matter where we've been or what we've done, the key to this series is understanding we are helping God write the kingdom story. And we play a role in that. And thus we've called this actors. Peter was the first person we started with. And we looked at Peter was just an absolute train wreck in the Gospels. And then in the book of Acts, the Holy Spirit came upon him, and the man who always misspoke and didn't do things the way he should all of a sudden became useful in the hands of God, and he started having a boldness that mattered, and he began to speak the truth of Jesus because he was made aware fully after the resurrection of who Christ was. And then Michael talked to us about Stephen, who understood who Jesus was and was willing to give his life to stand up for truth. And Michael talked about the Ethiopian, who was an African and the centurion, or the Cornelius, who was a Roman, N- neither one of them Jewish, neither one of them brought in in the Gospels and invited in. And then by the power of the Holy Spirit and the working of the church, God began to build bridges between those who were far away. We talked about Paul, who many people say, you know, he just was more talented, more gifted. That's just not true. Paul was the biggest mess as anyone who's ever sat in this room. And yet, by the power of the Holy Spirit, he was awakened to who Jesus was, and it became instrumental. And haven't we all been blessed by what God did with him? When we read our New Testament, we understand what God's designed for us is, because Paul was open to the Holy Spirit and recorded these things for us to learn from. And then last week, Michael talked about Lydia, who used her very simple gifts and really underwrote, in in all possible meanings, the work of the kingdom in her area. So instead of touting these people as, we're never going to be like them, I want us to actually look, as we continue in the series, how we can take the same Holy Spirit they had and do the same kind of work they've done. You see, the vast majority of great men and women are never going to be recorded 
and will be utterly forgotten. I know that's a real positive way to start today. But some of the greatest people who have ever lived are not going to make our history books. The Latin poet Horace wrote, no poet had they to make all time their own. They didn't have anybody to record their story. Barnabas is one of those people that although he's recorded in the book of Acts, his impact is, it goes for generations, but he's a minor character in the story. And God gives us memory. In fact, I've come to believe in this uh, past few months that memory may be one of the greatest acts of worship we do is when we remember. If we would pause every day to remember the goodness of God, remember the cross, remember the power of the resurrection, remember hope of the gospel to all nations, if we would spend time remembering, it may be the greatest worship we do all day long. But we get so caught up in the next thing. We deny the experiences we've had with God because they're not current anymore. And if they're not current anymore, then did they really matter at all? I think remembering may be our worship. Hebrews 13, 7. Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their life and imitate their faith. Hebrews 6, 12. Do not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promise. We are to learn from those who have preceded us. We are to pay attention to what God did in their life that he promises he will also do in ours. So when we look at this story that God is writing from his promise to Adam and Eve in the garden in Genesis 3.15 all the way to the culmination when Jesus returns, God has been building his kingdom and inviting people to be a part of the story. And thus our series is called Actors. Let's look at Acts 11, verses 19 through 26 this morning. Keep Acts 11 open because we're going to come... Uh, back into it a few times. Now, those who had been scattered by the persecution in connection with Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, telling the message only to Jews. I want to pause there. This goes back to week two in the series when Michael talked about Stephen, who stood up for his faith and was murdered. And when he was murdered, what God did was it it took his martyrdom and it allowed it to propel the church into regions it hadn't gone before. Because of the persecution, Christians moved away from Jerusalem, not in fear, but they went as Jesus asked them to do, and they were led to go to places where they could present the gospel before maybe their lives were taken from them. Continuing. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. News of this reached the ears of the church at Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he arrived and saw the evidence of the grace of God, he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. The disciples were were called Christians first at Antioch. So the disciples had been scattered all over the Mediterranean coastland because of Stephen's death. And they began to speak of Jesus and teach of Jesus and invite people to know who Christ was. And a great number were believing, verse 21. But I'd like to read again with you verses 22, 23, and 24, where we're going to spend a majority of our morning and looking at what Barnabas had in the Holy Spirit that you and I have available to us. Verse 22. News of this reached the ears of the church at Jerusalem, And they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he arrived and saw the evidence of the grace of God, he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. Luke 
who wrote the Gospel of Luke, also wrote the book of Acts. It was a two-volume history, if you will, of the early church, of Jesus and what happened to the ministry of Jesus as it propelled forward. Luke uses an expression that's interesting. I think it's the only time he calls anybody this in either account. He calls him a good man. And that caught my attention as I was studying for this. Why was he good? The answer is found, that he was full of the Holy Spirit and faith. So how do those two things relate to each other? The word good means upright, virtuous. He did the right things. He wasn't perfect, but he chose the good path. And how does that correlate? How does the Holy Spirit and goodness work together? Well, in Galatians 5.22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and faithfulness and self-control. But let me clarify going forward. You don't get the Holy Spirit because you're good. There's no recipe to getting God's arm so far up his back, he has to give you what you want. We don't compel God to do anything. His love compels him to do everything. So we're, we don't get the Holy Spirit because we're good. The Holy Spirit takes over your life, and part of the fruit of that is he brings goodness to us. Uh, let me tell you my story. I was baptized on a Sunday. I was grounded the very next day. <laughs> so having the Holy Spirit come upon me did not instantly make me Teflon and good. I got grounded for lipping off, and that's how I spent my first day as a believer. So there's work to do, huh, people? Goodness is a process, not an end result. He was full of the Holy Spirit, and he was full of faith. Paul, in his letter to the Galatians, you remember the letter uh, written to the churches in Galatia was all about them trying to have Jesus and a bunch of rules. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to trust Jesus, but then I'm going to do a lot of things that just make me safe and good. Paul says to them in chapter 3, did you receive the Holy Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? And he asks them again in verse 5, does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? It's not Jesus plus anything. It's Jesus is enough. And when we open ourselves up to Jesus being enough, the Holy Spirit can do a work in us that can even produce goodness. We receive the Holy Spirit by trusting Christ in faith, and then the Holy Spirit works in us daily to strengthen and fill us so that the fruit of the Spirit can come out of us. I was working in the yard, and I was listening to a couple of different things uh, as I was working, and I heard this uh, lengthy discussion on the concept of being spiritual and what that means today. People say they're spiritual. Normally, it means they're mystical, that they try to live above the flesh and beyond this world, and they want to live in this middle ground between here and heaven. And, and it, that's okay, I guess. Uh, it's not how I define spiritual. I would love to redeem the word spiritual. I would love for the fruit of the Spirit to actually be a sign of being spiritual, that you have peace and patience and kindness and goodness and self-control, that we would actually live out what Jesus looked like when he was here. That would be what spiritual should be, shouldn't it? But we live in a world that says, no, you have to escape the world. Jesus didn't escape the world. He was the most spiritual man to ever walk the earth, and he did it in the midst of our filth because he lived out his love for God in the most practical, tangible ways. So how do we get encouragement from Barnabas's life without it turning into some spiritual superhero that we're never going to reach? Let me share five things that I see about the demonstration of the goodness of Barnabas as Luke saw it. The first is empathy toward outsiders. 
One of the signs of the goodness of the Holy Spirit in your life is it's not us versus them. And man, oh man, do we live in a world of us versus them. In a, in a campaign year, holy smoke. It, we're such a divided nation and divided amongst division. And it's frightening. But in the Holy Spirit, we begin to see others as more important than ourselves. We begin to put others there. When the apostles and the elders in Jerusalem heard that up in Antioch, the church was growing, and it was growing with people that weren't Jewish, they sent Barnabas up there. And Barnabas went. Well, as Michael said earlier, Barnabas' name is Joseph, but they called him Barnabas, which means, here's what they were calling him, encourager. Send the encourager up there. Now, which is funny for me, because most of the nicknames that I've called people in their lives, or they've called me, do not go to our virtuous qualities. I had a friend named Fat Bob. I don't think he liked it. I've never heard anybody go, well, they're smarty, and we just don't do that to one another. Our nicknames are somewhat demeaning, but they renamed him the encourager. He was the son of encouragement. And so what does this concept of encouragement mean? Well, Michael talked about it, and, and ac- accurately so. I almost said adequately. That would have been... Uh, anyway, so accurately so. Oh, it was good for Michael. Anyway, so accurately so. He said it's putting your arm around someone and going with them. And the word also has the connotation to it. And encouragement means to give someone courage. To hold them up when they're weak. To give them a reason to keep going. To, to, to give them your belief in them and their belief in you, and using that as, pardon the expression, leverage to give them the strength. It's a father going into a child's room or a mother going into a child's room who's scared to go into a dark room by themselves and walking in there with them and showing there's nothing under the bed, there's nothing in the closet, there's nothing to fear in the darkness. Christ is with you. When we do that, we give what? Courage. So he was known as the encourager. In Acts chapter 9, when Saul... The Pharisee who was killing Christians, not one or two, he had papers to kill everyone he found. When he became a believer in Jesus and he asked to hold a meeting with the disciples, do you think they were a little concerned he was legit? Absolutely. And what, who shows up with him? Barnabas. And in Acts chapter 9, Barnabas walks in and he vouches for the change in Paul's life. And a new chapter in the story of the kingdom grew. In Acts chapter 4, Barnabas heard that there were people hurting and didn't have finances because when you became a Christian in that culture, you could have lost everything, land, title, everything you had. What did Barnabas do? He had a field, he sold the field, he gave the money to the disciples so they could distribute it to those in need. The Holy Spirit was working. He wasn't a perfect man, but he was a good man. And he cared about those that were outcasted on the outside. We take great pains here, and I know it's not always agreed with, and I understand the disagreement. But we take great pains here at Christ Church to make sure we don't preach the front page of the newspaper. But I'm telling you right now, church, if there is ever an opportunity for the church to raise up and to, to use the power available to us in, in Christ to make a difference, I am begging you, if you are not praying for the battle against evil in our world today, would you join me and start? See, you can picket and you can protest and you can get into politics. But if you're not praying, none of those have power. And so to stand up and to pick it, do that if God leads you to do that. I will not judge it. But if you're not praying before you pick it, I'd ask you, why are you picketing? Because the power that God has given us 
for those right now that are being punished, the innocence that is being killed, and what's going on in our world today as powers are coming together and trying to control and manipulate. If the church sits by and watches it, shame on us. We need to be people of prayer. And I know you're thinking, well, it's just across the country. And I'm not trying to frighten you that it will come here one day. And if we wait to pray then, may God have mercy on every one of us. We have to have the passion for the outcast, the downcast, and we even have to pray for our enemies, which may be one of the most horrific things I ever ask you to do. But would you today, as part of your worship, pray for those who are killing innocents? that God might awaken their heart. Because one of the strengths of the Holy Spirit in Barnabas was he even went after the enemies of the church and introduced them to the church. He went up to Antioch and he began to preach the gospel to those that were outcast and far away from God. And you read what happened. Many people came to know Christ through him, through his playing his role in the story of God. The second thing Barnabas does is Barnabas had a submission to God's call through the church. And this is a minor point in verses 22 and 23, but I think it's more than significant. If you read it quickly, you'll miss it. If you pay attention to it, I think it's substantial. In verse 22, the verse ends with, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. But verse 23 is what makes me happy. And when he came, so here's what I see. God called him, he went. What a neat concept. God said, here's what I need you to do. And Barnabas is like, okay, I'm going to pray about it, think about it. Plan. No, Barnabas just went 400 miles from where he lived. That'd be like going from here and walking to Dallas and spending years in Dallas preaching to people who need to know who the Lord is. And God called him and he went. It takes greater faith to go when called than just to be called. I think you, you would agree with me maybe. The church is full of a bunch of people who have been called and are still waiting for departure dates. And yet Barnabas was willing to go. He, they said, we need you to go to Antioch. I'll go. He went. He preached. The kingdom advanced. He played his role. In chapter 13, Barnabas is praying with some of the elders and leaders in Antioch, and the Holy Spirit came upon them and said, set apart Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I've called them. And they did. They gathered around, they laid their hands on them, which is a sign of commissioning. It was a sign of, we go with you in spirit. They laid their hands, they sent Paul and Barnabas, and churches began to be planted all over the world. And you and I, listen to me, you and I know who Jesus Christ is because he got up and went. The churches that went throughout Europe and Asia became the churches that saved an Irish-Scottish kid like me. The churches that went through Asia saved those of you with German descent and French descent. I can go on all day. Now, is Barnabas a superhero that only he could do it? No, he was an obedient person who received the call of God and sent by the church, he went. You see, how does faith produce that kind of goodness? Because he believed in the missionary promise of Matthew 28. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. I will be with you to the end of the age. He knew that when he went, God would go. Thirdly, he had the ability to celebrate God's grace in an imperfect church. Now, you might think that these are ordered uh, in areas of importance, first being most important all the way down to fifth. Actually not. I just went through the verses and pulled out the truths as I saw them. The third one is great significance. When he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad. 
He went to an imperfect church. The church wasn't that old. It didn't have structure. It didn't have systems. It was just a group of people loving each other, serving one another, and inviting other people into this new kingdom life. And he could have gone up and said, we need this, and we need this, and this, is, this isn't going to work. It's not going to last. But instead, what he did was by the power of the Holy Spirit, he was able to see God working in people's lives. Would you agree with me that we live in an age of cynicism? That we'll even see someone come to Christ and in the depths of our mind stop and go, well, we'll see if it, if it lasts. Barnabas said, no, I see the grace of God moving. It's the grace of God that makes a difference. It's not the structure of the church. It's not the perfection of the church and its programs. It's the grace of God moving. And when you look around and you know the stories of the people that worship with you every week and you begin to see the difference God's making, we've had people this week who have gone seven days without feeding their addiction. And I look at that. That's the grace of God moving in the body of Christ. And oh, yeah, yeah, your preacher could be better. And yeah, yeah, we could do... We could actually have parking that worked. I mean, there's a thousand things we could pick on. But at the end of the day, isn't it wonderful to celebrate that he makes beautiful things out of every one of us? And Barnabas was an encourager because he saw the grace of God and not just the problems of people. And he used that. Fourthly, he had influence toward experiencing deeper faith. He just didn't tell people they were awesome. He actually called them to realize Jesus was awesome. Verse 23, and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. Genuine saving faith is the impulse to fight against the cynicism of the world and trust that God is good enough. And Barnabas was a man who wherever he went, he encouraged people. Jesus is real, Jesus is alive, and Jesus has hope. So I want you to know that one day of worship a week isn't enough. You're not, you are not by your own power and gathering periodically or sporadically with other Christians going to understand the depth. We need one another. We need to encourage one another, hold each other up because most of the time Satan's not going to come at you on a Sunday morning. He's going to come at you on a Tuesday afternoon when you're all by yourself and nobody knows you're alone and nobody knows you're scared and nobody knows you're weak. You see, the encouragement of the body is not to just come here on Sunday. The encouragement of the body is to be faithful to the Lord with purpose. So you're going to have to get out of the rut you've dug. You're going to have to change some of your routines. You're going to have to prioritize your time with the Lord and your awareness of the Lord and your remembering the Lord over and above all of the other things that grab your attention. Let's confess today the great sin of our generation. Forgive me, Lord, I am busy but I'm busy doing the things I've chosen to do rather than choosing to be the thing I want to do. I read an article and it just blew my mind. It said that the world is in this great translation from the resume attributes of a person or the eulogy attributes of a person. You know what the resume are, right? Where did you go to school? What degree you have? How successful you were in business? How, how many trophies you won? But then there's the eulogy because I'll tell you as a pastor... I will never stand, if I perform your funeral, I'll never stand over your casket and honor where you went to school and how many trophies you won and blah, 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 because all those get left behind. I will always honor that you were a good spouse, a loving parent, that you invested in the kingdom of heaven, that you made your life outlast yourself. Do you see the difference? But you'll have no poet to, to write your story. 
But which are you living your life for? The resume intrigue or the eulogy statement of truth? And this is what Barnabas did when he called every single one of us to steadfast faithfulness with purpose. And lastly, his trustworthiness with other people's treasures. This is probably the one thing that Barnabas will be known for by a casual reader of the book of Acts. He had things, he sold things, he gave things away. But his story is so much deeper. In verse 29, And the disciples determined, everyone according to his ability, to send relief to the brethren who lived in Judea. And they did so, sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. Luke said Barnabas was a good man. And that intrigued me. And when I looked at what made him good, it was simple things. The world's not going to record Barnabas as a great, a great icon of the church, a great pillar. He's not found in Hebrews chapter 12, the great statement, or chapter 11, the great statement of faith, and the, all the icons of those who trusted. But would you agree with me? Barnabas was a good man who built the kingdom of heaven, who trusted the Lord, who invested his life in others. And the same power that led Barnabas to be this kind of person is the same power available to you and I to, to have empathy for the outsiders, to look for those who were lost, and to even look at our enemies and to hope for them, to love them, to encourage them, to believe in them. He yielded to the call of God, and when God asked him to go, he went. And maybe his going was a few feet or maybe it was 400 miles, but he chose to go. He saw the grace of God in imperfect circumstances. He used his influence to deepen one another's faith. And he was trustworthy with other people's issues, with other people's treasures, with other opportunities. What I want us to do this morning is something unique. And it's, not, it's just unique to the way we close a message. But I've been asking God that while I was up here speaking, that God would have laid on each of your hearts a face or a name of one or two people who you feel convicted by the same Holy Spirit that led Barnabas to be an encourager, that you've been led in these moments to think of a person or two who you believe you could encourage in their walk of faith. It may be a believer who's flatlined. It just has been so long since they felt close to God that they've dismissed it as it doesn't matter anymore. It just, it wasn't real. I made it up. It's just not for me. Or maybe it's someone who's going through a crisis right now and you don't know what words to say and you don't know what to do. But while I was preaching about Barnabas, you were thinking, they need me. The reason you thought that is because God laid that on your heart and mind. God gave you a name because we asked him to. God laid an impression upon your heart because he needs you to act as Barnabas to them. Or maybe you're the person sitting here right now that would love to scream, I need help. I need someone to walk with me. I, I need someone to put their arm around me. I need someone to help me find a reason to have courage because I'm scared, I'm broke, I'm alone. I don't know what to do. Whatever that case is, whether God's given you a name or you're the name, right now we're going to access the power, the greatest power we have available to us, the power of prayer. I'd like you to pray for the person and for the opportunity to speak encouragement into them. It may be a text message. It may be you take them to coffee. It may be you go by their house and you just sit with them and just be with them in presence. Maybe the distance is great and it's a phone call, a text, a Skype. God will lead you. And pray that God will give you the opportunity to be Barnabas 
to be an encouragement. And if you're that person, pray the simple prayer. Jesus, I know you're enough, but I really need someone in my life to walk with me. And we're going to pray that as God does that in this room, you're going to get an answer to your prayer. Let's spend a moment in prayer together. Jesus, by the power of your spirit, the promised power of life and hope and truth, we ask that you would create opportunities for us to encourage one another. Not just a token Sunday morning, hey, how are you? But God, give us specifics, something somebody needs. It's scary to make ourselves vulnerable, but if you've called us, we want to go. And we want to have an impact like you've had on us. God, may they see you through all of it. And I pray for those that are sitting here today and they're just empty and hurting and want so much to be reconnected back to that source of life. I pray that you will move each of us to have those intersections in life that matter. That those that are lonely and hurting today would find someone to walk with them, someone to believe in them, and someone to bring them hope and encouragement, to be steadfast in their faith intentionally for you. God, I thank you that the promise that what is available in the book of Acts is available to every one of us is real and true. May we trust that. May we live in that. As we celebrate you, Father, as we see lives given to you this day, we thank you for the power of your spirit that brings us hope in the midst of this darkness. And we pray this together in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to a Sunday morning sermon from Christ Church of Orinoco. For more information about these sermons, or about Christ Church in general, visit us online at ccochurch.com.